the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Thank you for tuning in. This is the Tuesday edition of The Word to Stand On for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And we're here every weekday at 4 o'clock on AM 630 The Word to take your phone calls and answer your Bible questions or life questions, anything and everything that's on your heart. All you have to do is call us. You can dial 210-340-9585. That's 340 340- 9585 if you're outside the local San Antonio area. You can call toll-free at 630-KSLR. Numerically, that's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by mailing questions at calvarysa.com, or you can use our free Calvary Chapel mobile app and send your questions in that way. If you're driving in your car, the safest way to call is use the free KSLR mobile app. That entitles you to use the hands-free feature of your phone, just hit the call now banner and you'll be connected directly to our studio producer. Our main number, one last time, is 340-9585. Hey, I want to thank um, um, many of you who who have emailed or called or, or in Paula's case, texted thanking you or thanking us for the, the anniversary show yesterday. Uh, we were hoping that that would bless you just... You know, it's it's a good thing to do sometimes to remember all the stuff you've been through, and then you can see the hand of God as He moved you through it. And and uh, today, as we start year forty eight of marriage, and and we're well into year fifty of uh, of being together, um, those memories are really really precious. So I thrilled you were blessed by it, and thank you very very much. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. Before I take a phone call, that's waiting. Um, oh yeah, that's right. Men's Retreat Week. Don't forget, men. There's still time to register. Uh, don't worry about being a stranger, feeling uncomfortable. It'll last about thirty seconds with the men at our church. Uh, it's going to be at Camp Buckner. It starts Thursday at eight o'clock in the evening. Registration starts at five, and we will have um, um, full day Friday, and then. A, out by noon on Saturday. We'd love to have you join us, and you will be blessed um, as a result. You can register online, or you can come and register uh, here at the church if you come to our Wednesday night Bible study tomorrow night. I'm excited about the retreat. Hey, before we take a phone call, we had uh, a caller, uh, Adelia, who wanted to know about the Church of the Brethren. And, And Adelia, as I expected... Um, I wouldn't say it's a healthy church at all. It's a church where uh, they have a strict dress code. Women must wear long dresses and things like that. So it, it, it tends to be on the legalistic side, and legalism is never a good thing. So you're asking about the church. I told you I'd do a little research. I didn't want to answer off the cuff. I suspected it was like that, but I wanted to be sure. So uh, I'm sure they're saved, but remember rules and none of that draws you close to Jesus. Let him do the transforming. Uh, All you have to do is come to him 
on his terms. So, Delia, thanks for being patient with my answer. I didn't know we are going to do the program the way we did yesterday until I got here. So thank you for that. Let's go to uh, first phone call, Anonymous, on line one from San Antonio. Thanks for calling. You're on the air. Uh, hello, Pastor. Hello. Okay, uh, sir, I have a, I have a question I'd like to ask. Um, as a uh, Christian community, how do we know or realize or understand how God's preparing us for heaven? You know, to call us home for heaven. Okay, that's my question. I listen to the response on the radio. Okay, thank you very much. I appreciate the call. It's a good question. Um, we, we know God is preparing us, and, and you ask the questions that are are very thoughtful. Um, but they all pretty much go back to the same answer. We know God is preparing us because that's what he's promised to do in the Word. Now, here's a way to think about this, Anonymous. We're all familiar with Jesus' birth as a baby in Bethlehem. And we have a tendency to think of babies as being little cute, soft things, and for sure they are. But Jesus, from that very moment of birth was being prepared by his Father to die for your sins and mine. And just as Jesus was being prepared, Jesus left the Holy Spirit with us to prepare us. Now, the process is called sanctification. That's a theological term. And the the process of sanctification is simply being made more like Jesus every day. And all of that's preparation. And as we get to know a little bit more about him, as we learn to walk a little bit closer to him, we realize we can actually experience his hand in making us more and more and more like him. Now, obviously, we read the word, we we let the word transform our heart, Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, be not conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, and our minds are renewed as, as um, the Holy Spirit washes our, our minds with the water of the word, and we're more and more like Jesus every single day. The more you walk with him and the more like him you you become, then there's a whole new dynamic that occurs. And that's that you find out he is so much bigger than you ever imagined. And one of the mysteries that, that we'll get answers till we get to heaven is, for in my case, I've been walking with Lord a little over 28 years. And my Jesus is infinitely bigger now than he was when I met him, and I thought he was huge then. And we have a tendency to think that, you know, if I study a little bit, if I walk with Jesus, then pretty much I'm going to be like him. But, but when you do that, he gets so much bigger and so much grander. We have to know he's always preparing us for that moment when we stand before him. Now, in case I misunderstood the question, okay, and I don't think I did, but in case you were wondering as we get closer to being with him, whether it's we're getting older, we're getting closer to dying, um, um, our faith is in what the Word says, that we will be made perfect. And on that day, Anonymous, and think about this for a moment, you've got some, I said earlier, some very thoughtful questions, I want you to think about this. On the day when you go to see Jesus, he's going to look at you and you will finally and completely be perfect. And that's why he'll say, well done, my good and faithful servant. What we do here matters, that's for sure. But the one thing we need to remember is that he is the author and the finisher of our faith. All we have to do is be with him. Good question, Anonymous. Thank you very, very much. Let me go to our first question today uh, from our email inbox. This one is from Mick. He says, Was the Holy Spirit received in the sense that you get saved? He's in you, starting in John chapter 20, verse 22, or Acts chapter 2. Can you please explain the difference between these two passages and at which point in time the Spirit was revealed in any believer, not just the apostles. Let me read the two verses. By the way, thank you for providing them in your email. Uh, John 20, verse 22 says, And with that he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. 
And Acts chapter 2, verse 1 says, When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Uh, And then the fourth verse, All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Make a couple of things, and, and I think you understand it correctly. In John 22, after his death and resurrection, Jesus gathered with his disciples, those who will, will be apostles, and he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. Now, obviously, they didn't have the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit hadn't yet been given. The Holy Spirit was given upon the, the, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, in the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit made his grand entrance into the world in that moment. And that will never be repeated. You know, I, I know that there are people, when they have questions about tongues, well, everybody spoke in tongues. Well, that was a one-time-only thing at the beginning when, when the Holy Spirit um, gave birth to the church. So with us, Jesus breathes on us, not in the same physical sense that he did his disciples, but he breathed on us the minute we open our heart and give Jesus our lives. When we are born again, we have every bit of the Holy Spirit that we're ever going to get. Every single bit of him. And that was what was happening. That was sort of Jesus. You know, think about it this way, Mick. Um, our cars run out of gas. Now we've got all those bells and warnings and stuff. I'm old enough that I remember when you just said to pray you weren't going to run out of gas. We had the, the, the saying that I'm on I'm driving on fumes. Um, but you go and you park your car by one of the gas pumps and you put gas in and you can go again. And that's what Jesus is telling us. When we get saved, when we give our heart to Jesus, then and only then are we filled with the Holy Spirit. We're getting gas. We're getting fuel. We've got power to go and power to burn. Now, the second experience of the Holy Spirit, and for the disciples who now are apostles when Acts chapter 2 comes along, um, their second experience with the Holy Spirit was completely different. You'll notice in John 20, when Jesus breathed on them, they didn't start speaking in tongues or prophesying. He just came inside them. But in Acts chapter 2, because they were obedient, and, and obedience is always the trigger for the power of the Holy Spirit, when the Spirit of God fell on them, then gifts were given to them. And the same thing happens in our walk with the Lord. Uh, sometimes our experience is very emotional and, and sometimes even ecstatic in the sense that, that he just pours himself out upon us. Um, other times it's not. It's just sort of a matter-of-fact condition, and we just accept it. Well, every single believer needs to be filled and refilled every day. Just like you fill up your car, you got to fill up your body. That's how we remain connected to the source of power. So we receive the Spirit as a gift from God when we get saved, but we also receive the Spirit in power, and that's the difference between John 20 and Acts chapter 2. We receive the Spirit in power. It sort of commissions us and enables us to do the work that God has called us to do. Good question, Mick. Thank you very, very much. Let me go to my friend in San Leandro, California. Tanya's online one. Tanya, thank you for calling. You're on the air. Hi, Papa Ron. How are you doing? I'm doing well for an old person. You're not old. You're like fine wine, sir. You get better with age. (laughs) (laughs) That's what they say. I don't drink wine, but okay. Anyways, question for you, Papa. Um, I have been... um, uh, blessed with uh, watching some of the neighborhood children after school, uh, you know, with the rising cost in housing in the Bay Area. Uh, we try to help out where we can. And one of the things I've, I've been doing is helping with the children after school. And I don't want to say I'm having like my own little, uh, you know, um, Bible study for the kids, but I was looking for, I know that on Sundays the kids go to church. Are the lessons that they're learning in tune with what you're sharing as well, or is there something that you... I know we use the Bible, and and, and I'm certainly that that's the most important piece. But is there something that you guys use that's a little bit more um, 
palatable because some of them are like kindergarten, some of the kids are first grade, and so I didn't know how you. Well, Tenu, we lost you. We we lost your audio. Uh, I know you're. I know you can hear me, Tanya, and I know the question. So let me uh, answer. By the way, got to see our friend Jennifer uh, this weekend. She looks really good and is doing well. So um, keep her in your prayers. Thanks very much for that, uh, Tanya. A couple of things. We, as you know, we teach the Bible to the kids. Uh, to the the kids in in the nursery, we read the Bible to them as we're praying for them or walking them uh, in the toddler room. Uh, they sit in chairs and they're expected to be as still as a, a toddler can be. Uh, and they they learn the Bible. Now, here's the key. And this is what you need to know by faith. God will give you the gift of meeting those kids where they are. But it's got to be done in his word. We don't use a curriculum. We never have. We don't um, um, tell them stories. I mean, obviously, we teach them at an age appropriate level. Uh, and God has provided people that are gifted to do that. And, and our kids, they, they learn the Bible. And uh, so there's no stories, no curriculum. Um, a, a lot of times the Bible study that they're in is going to be um, uh, accompanied by some pictures that we'll let the little ones draw or something. But it's always relating to the Bible study. And as they draw, we can teach them. So it's just a matter of the grade, the, 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 the capacity to learn that those kids have. And um, um, God will do exactly the same thing with you. Two quick things. One, God bless you for doing that. The kids in the Bay Area are not getting any Jesus at all. And you're sitting down. You've got this nuclear weapon, the Bible. So teach them the Bible. Teach them the Bible. Uh, challenge them if it's a regular thing during the week. Um, just just the way we do it. Start at the beginning of a book. Go as slow as you need to go. Uh, allow them to answer, ask questions and then provide the answers. But teach all the way through. You can, at their own level, give them the whole counsel of God. Now, regarding whether or not they are tied in with what I'm teaching, we tried that a long time ago, but I go so slow and it's just way too slow for the kids. So uh, we just let them go at their own pace. Uh, so they'll get done with the book long before I'm I'm even really into it. Well, so um, they'll just then go to the next book. But but the important thing at all ages is systematic teaching. Start at the beginning of a book and don't change until you're at the end of that book. And you can break it up into as many Sundays as you need. In your case, as many uh, after school days as you need. But the Lord will bless abundantly and tenure, and particularly with your level of excitement and passion for the Word. Those kids, some of them are going to get it. And you're sowing into their lives such a valuable, valuable seed because every minute of every day in the place that you live, it's this way everywhere, it's just worse where you live, uh, every day. God is going to be speaking to them. He loves them. Keep Always give them the opportunity to ask Jesus into their heart and, uh, and keep teaching them. I wish everybody were doing that if they had the time to do it. Tanya, thank you very, very much. The other day when you called, I meant to tell you to tell Marcus he's been in my heart and I'm praying for him. God bless him. Thank you very, very much. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Uh, here is a question from our email inbox from Chip. Uh, he says, what principle should we apply in the reading of Psalm 127? I assume that it means uh, a God-ordained, blessed, and equally yoked marriage, which I thankfully have. And in regards to children, obviously in today's society, having had children is not as practical as it was in days of old. So how do we interpret young? I married at an older age. No, and, and how do we interpret young? I married at an older age, age 30, or after 30, and I have wonderful children I believe to be blessed because of them. I appreciate your input in trying to make the Psalms come alive and practical today. A um, couple of things with Psalm 127. It is an absolute brilliant, short, but brilliant passage of Scripture. 
And I'm going to disagree with you in one regard, Chip. You said that it's more practical to have children then than it is now. I don't believe it is. Now, they had to have children in larger numbers. Obviously, the the size of the family unit, it's one of the reasons in the ancient world that marrying multiple women uh, was so commonplace. Um, you know, you'd have to raise up your own security, you'd have to raise up your own labor force. Uh, it was a harsh, harsh world, and so they would keep having kids over and over and over. But I think, personally, it's still important for married people to seek the Lord on this issue of kids. You know, it breaks my heart, Chip, when I do pre-marriage counseling, and I'll ask people, uh, so do you plan on having kids? And their answer is, oh, we're not going to have kids for three, four, five years, or whatever their plans are. And, and what I always want to do is say, look, that, that's fine. You're free to do that. But ask Jesus what he wants for you. What if he wanted to bless you with children and you think you're not ready? It's almost like saying, Lord, thanks for trying to bless me, but no. So the idea behind this psalm is um, um, very simply, um, get a wife, raise a family, and raise them up to know the Lord. Unless the Lord builds the house, the verse first verse says, it's builders labor in vain. We can have a family, we can have offspring, but it's not a family unless it's the Lord who's doing it. Um, and if God wants to give you a big family, God bless you. He'll, he'll give you the ability to provide for them. He'll give you the ability, uh, the energy to deal with them. Um, and... Um, when you have a whole whole bunch of kids, um, you will be abundantly blessed. You know, um, Chip, I actually have a, a friend of mine, a pastor, who's got 12 kids. And uh, he is uh, an aggressive advocate, not legalistic, but an aggressive advocate for large families. And here's what he told me. He said, you know, when we had five kids, it was much harder than when we have 12. As the kids grow older, they take care and they take part in helping. The family grows together. Um, so I, I, my encouragement to, to, to anybody who's getting married, and please wait to have children till you're married, but anybody who's getting married is seek the Lord on his plans instead of trying to make your own plans. I'm glad you found a godly wife, and I'm glad you've got godly children, and so too is the Lordship. Thank you very much for answering the question. Let's go to line one from San Antonio. Jeff is on the line. Jeff, thanks for calling. Hi, Pastor Ron. Haven't talked to you in a few weeks. Still owe me a hug. How are you doing? How are you doing? Thank you. <laughs> I, I was poised to call you yesterday, but I didn't want I didn't want you and Paula to stop talking. That was just really wonderful. <laughs> Thank you, Jeff. Were you really that bad of a guy for thirteen years? I, no, I was a I was a bad guy for a lot longer than that. She was just saved for the last thirteen years of that. Yeah, I was a jerk. Oh man, well, nobody quite has has the jerk them that that Paul did. So, I mean, <laughs> I mean, either any way you look at it, that's still amazing. But her breaking out that prayer journal and then sharing about the. Uh, the, the little notes that she left when she was cleaning and that gentleman that mm-hmm. came to the door and asked for you. Just amazing. So anyway, congratulations, Pastor and Paula. Thank you, Jeff. Um, I wanted, I just wanted to share real quick with you a little testimony. Um, my wife and I were in Mexico a few Saturdays ago just for a day trip to visit our ministries down there and to bring supplies. And my appendix decided to uh, erupt. We oh, were in my. town. Yeah, and 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 I heard Reuben yesterday. I was actually had prayed for him a couple times over the past few weeks because I hadn't had a chance to tune in and to hear him, you know, say that he almost overdosed or overdosed on morphine. And that's that's something that happened to me. I was I was in a little community community hospital with 10 rooms and it looked like it was right out of 1948 or something like that. And, <laughs> Wow. And, and it was probably as well equipped. Uh, but praise the Lord, we have a friend who's who's a very uh, pretty well known doctor down there, who's also an evangelist in the, in the Assemblies of God and a friend of ours. And he just so happened to be working that weekend, 
And uh, he called us into that hospital. He says, I've got a, a great surgeon that I'm going to reach out to. He showed up a little bit after we did. And he said, look, you know, I can take care of you here. If we move you to another hospital, it's going to be a lot more expensive. So let's just take care of you here. Anyway, it was a unique experience when, when they pushed me up a ramp, like a parking lot ramp, and then and then wheeled the gurney up to a, uh, a window and then pushed my body through a window into the operating room and there were attendants on the other side. and Just unique. And, and they don't have pharmacies in the hospitals down there, so you're... Your wife or your loved one has to go out to the pharmacy and get the medicines that they request that they're administering to you. And um, on the Sunday, the Sunday after my surgery, oh, um, Jeff, Jeff to, let me yeah, let me let me cut you. Let sure. me stop you for a please hold on if you can to the other side of the break. I want to hear the end of this story. We're at a hard break. We've got to cut out for just a minute. You're listening to the Word to Stand On for Life, 340-9585. We'll be back on the other side of the break with Jeff. We'll see you in two minutes. Back to the word to stand on for life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the second half of our Tuesday show, 340-9585. Jeff, do we still have you there? Yes, sir. Oh, good. Thank you for holding on. The time went faster to closing than I thought it did. So go ahead and finish your story. Okay, so uh, so the doctor on Sunday saw that I was in a great deal of pain and ordered morphine for me. And uh, my wife went out to pick it up, not really knowing she was getting morphine, I think, and brought it back. And I just remember them, like, administering a really large syringe. And my wife said they put it in my IV as well, too. And I, hmm. and I just, I literally passed out, Pastor Ron. And I started... You know, it's a hallucinogenic anyway, but it had a major impact on my blood pressure. And my wife said I went through a some type of trauma. Uh, I thought the whole thing lasted for about 10, 15 minutes. She, she would tell me later that it was about three hours. But mm-hmm. I started to see color in, in like a subconscious state. And I, I, quote, unquote, like I would say I arrived at what looked like a, a portal of bright white light. Now, I'm not going to write a book about this or anything, but I, I just knew <laughs> I'm looking at this white light, Pastor Ron, and I and I know that if I cross into that white light, that I'm going to die. And and I, my wife said I would I would come to consciousness like suddenly, and I would look up at her and I'd say, "Baby, I'm so sorry. I love you. I don't want to leave you with all my mess to clean up by yourself." Please forgive me. I love you. And she says, no, you're not going to die. I pass out again. And there were no voices. There were no there were no figures on the other side. But I really had the sense that I was I was getting ready to die and had no fear of it. But I had sadness of, of leaving my family, sadness of or disappointment of feeling like I didn't complete what God commissioned me to do while here I was here on earth. And then she said she would hear me mumble things like, God, please forgive me. Oh, Jesus, I love you. God, I'm sorry that I didn't ask, maybe I didn't ask forgiveness about something and blah, blah, blah. I would just go on and on. And, and she said this happened, went on for three hours until I finally rested. But they had to bring oxygen in and everything. And she said my, my blood, my pulse rate went really high, my blood pressure too. And it was, an, it was really, an amazing experience and and the next couple of days after that you know i just put my headphones on and i listened to both books of corinthians and i started thinking to myself how how there have been a number of times in my life and maybe more so in ministry when i've said god i just really want to die i'm just so tired and worn out by this um just take me and and i was re- reminded of elijah you know, after he just defeated 450 prophets of Baal, and I, I did some more research on that and found out, hey, Elijah wasn't the only one that asked to die. 
Job asked to die. Jeremiah asked to die. Moses even asked to die, and I wasn't even aware of that. And But what it gave me, Pastor Ron, after that is that I will never ask to die ever again. Because whether that experience was just a drug experience or whether I really was close to, to, to leaving this planet and being escorted by the angels to paradise, I don't know. But what it did was it kind of shook me to the core later and just said, you know, never, ever ask to die. Just be grateful every day for what God has given us, the challenges every day. And I just, I just want to say thank you again to you and Paula mm-hmm. for your transparency and willingness to share. I'm sure you've done this. It's had, had an impact on, on, on thousands of, of people already. But, uh, you know, some little guy listening to the radio that does what, does what I, I mean, it's really made a difference for me, too. But I wanted thank to share you, that with you guys. Yeah, thank you. Appreciate it. God bless you. You know, I'm going to take just a minute and talk about that. You know, um, um, this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. And sometimes that's really hard. Sometimes it's hard to find things to rejoice in. But but I think Jeff's message to all of us is um, we need a new, a fresh view every single day. What it is, Lord, you have for me today? What about me? What about today? And uh, anything that, that the Lord uses to get us to that place. Now, it is unlikely that Jeff had a near-death experience. He, he was hallucinating. That's what drugs do. But at the same time, the Lord is there. And I'm so grateful, Jeff, that you're okay. Uh, but, um, you know, any, any experience that we have, pleasant or unpleasant, any experience that we have that brings us to that place where we appreciate the moment we have and want to use it for His glory, well, that's a moment that serves us well. So, Jeff, I appreciate it very, very much. One caution. Um, I know your intent and I know your heart, but but we should never say we're never going to do something or that we're always going to do something, um, what we should do is simply say, Lord, by your spirit or by your power, I won't do that. Um, I've been with a lot of people when they're in real suffering and near death. And, um, you know, the death experience is such that there's a time when we're ready to go with, be with the Lord. So to fight death, well, that fight belongs to Jesus. He knows what day. The only experience we have of a of a, a day that was set that God gave grace was Hezekiah, and of course we know the results of of the extra fifteen years Hezekiah got uh, wasn't good, uh, but for all of us, um, just don't make God promise. I'll never say I want to die again. I'll never say I want to give up again. Uh, what we need to do is when we get to that place where we're at the end of ourselves. All we need to do is say, Jesus, I got nothing left. So would you take me and hold me and give me strength? Reconnect to the power source. And when we reconnect to the power source, then we can say, right now, Lord, let's work. Jeff, thanks. What a great story. Sorry you went through all that. I meant to ask you what city that was in. So next time you call, let me know what city that was in. 340-9585. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. Here's a question from our email inbox anonymously. Hi, Pastor. Thank you for doing our Lord's work. Uh, could you please share your thoughts on the teachings of Hank Hanegraaff? Uh, I used to follow him closely, but differ from him greatly on his teachings on the rapture of the church and after his conversion to Greek Orthodoxy. Thank you and blessings. Um, anonymous like you, uh, I was a big Hank fan when I first got saved. I will go so far as to say that um, his program in California came on at 3 o'clock in the afternoon uh, at that particular time. And um, I was so curious about everything that I didn't miss any days that he was on the air. And because I, I started out sort of in the prosperity movement, um, he, he was a key figure in my early spiritual development uh, because at that time he had just written or was in the process of writing his book, 
um, um, on, on the counterfeit movements. Um, I can't remember the name, but it's counterfeit is in the name. It's a good book. Um, um, but, but, you know, he was forcing me to really dig into my Bible and, and find out what was true. And uh, he, he had a, a profound impact on my life. Now, as I grew in my walk with the Lord, um, I noticed a couple of things about Hank. And I'm, I don't know him personally. I've met him. Uh, I don't know him personally. I certainly would never judge his heart. But it seemed to me as though um, he, he struggled a little bit with pride. He's a really smart guy. Now, maybe because I'm not a smart guy, uh, I don't have this, this struggle. But I've noticed that a lot of people who are smart have a hard time accepting basic, simple truths. And often they're always looking for something new that's true, and there's nothing true that's new. Then now it can be new to us. But the truth is, when I got saved, what I knew was absolutely true then is still absolutely true today. I've grown in my knowledge of God. I've grown in the knowledge of God's will for my life. That's what we're supposed to do. But a lot of these men and women only grow in knowledge. And knowledge puffs up. And I, I've just watched a lot of really smart people get just a little bit puffy in the pride area. And in, in Hank's case, um, when I got saved, Hank was a Calvary Chapel guy. Went to Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa. That was the church. He would sometimes teach there. And, and uh, he was solidly pre-trib, pre-mill in his eschatology. And uh, answering questions and digging in, uh, memorizing scripture, he uh, he just believed eventually that he would come to a different perspective. He is wrong, but that's when I noticed a big change uh, in his ministry and in the effectiveness of his ministry. And I think, as you pointed out, Anonymous, um, that when a, a man like that, who has for so many years been championing the Word of God in a very literal interpretation of it, suddenly becomes a Greek Orthodox. Now, I'm sure he's saved. I have no doubt about that, so I don't want to be misunderstood. But to embrace an entirely different tradition, a tradition that, in fact, doesn't accept the penal substitutionary atonement of our Lord, to accept saints as special people to be comfortable worshiping with icons and images he changed his view completely on the Eucharist on the body and blood of Jesus and like you I've just seen a lot of unnecessary, unfruitful change. Uh, For those of you who don't know, um, Hank is also struggling with uh, cancer. He had, uh, a few weeks ago, was actually near death. He's he's recovered. They got him through that, and he seems to be doing much, much better. But he is in a struggle that won't end, of course, until he's with the Lord with with a very rare form of cancer. And I would ask you all to keep keep him in prayer. Um, So that's the best I can do, but um, like you, he had a very profound impact on my life. Here is a question from Mick. In Daniel chapter 2, the first four kingdoms of Nebuchadnezzar's dream were Babylon, Persia, Greece, and Rome. Then it mentions a fifth empire, the feet mixed with clay and iron, and being a divided kingdom. What? empire is this? Great question, and I could give you a whole hour Bible study on this one, Nick, but I will spare you um, the the trouble. Um, The fifth kingdom is a revived Roman empire, and the the image with the, the feet mixed with clay and iron, you know, iron was the strongest metal known to man at the time. And the, the, the picture of, of iron is just with strength and unyielding force. Uh, and certainly that was the case with Rome the first time. It was the case with all of the other kingdoms um, that preceded Rome. Uh, but the idea here is that, that when this fifth empire revived Roman empire, 
um, comes, uh, it will be the reigning empire in the world. At the same time, it won't have the strength. It won't have the the, the solidarity. Uh, it will be uh, a weakened empire, and that weakened empire, of course, will be uh, the the ruling empire of the last days. Um, the Roman Empire, Babylon, um, the, the Rome will be the home of the ecclesiastical Babylon. Um, literally, Babylon will be the home of Babylon, but it will be a revised Roman Empire, a united um, nations of kingdoms. Um, ten nations we see moves in that direction. We, one of the one of the things that we need to remember when we hear all of this talk, especially from our, our our Democratic presidential candidates, we've heard a lot about this, is ours is a global community now. We no longer can draw borders. We can no longer be proud of, of our nationalism. Um, well, those are all things that God's Word prophetically says are going to happen in the last days. Brothers and sisters, we're in the last days. And the fifth empire is that empire which is going to be completely devastated when Jesus returns. And the divided kingdom, of course, is going to be other nations come into that Roman Empire and there's not going to be the unity um, and the sovereignty of the original Roman Empire. You know, Mick, a lot of people uh, have sort of taken Daniel's uh, prophecies and sort of made light of them because, um, you know, a revived Roman Empire. I personally think, and this is just my opinion, most people disagree with me, but I personally believe that um, the, the, the head wound, um, the fatal wound, and then it comes back to life, uh, I prefer to interpret that not literally as the Antichrist being assassinated and then coming back to life. While that might happen, I think the greater application to that is that the Roman Empire appears to be dead. But it was never defeated militarily, and it is going to come back to life, and that signals the very, very end. Great question, Nick. Thank you very, very much. Um, Here's a question from Nacho from our mobile app. He says, um, Pastor Ron, what will the rapture look like? Practically speaking, will our bodies stay? I assume our clothes will. Also, what do you think will happen when Jesus comes in Revelation 1, verse 7? It says, look, he's coming with the clouds and every eye will see him. Uh, you can read about that, Nacho, in chapter 19. And then he asks, practically speaking, how will that happen around the world? In a house, in a prison cell, in a submarine, under the ocean? And then he asks, he says, I hope that makes sense. Um, when Jesus comes, um, the sky is going to light up from one end to the other. When, when he returns in Revelation chapter 19... Every eye will see, and that's very, very literal. And it's obviously a supernatural event. This does not mean, as some of the prophecy wonks are are inclined to say, well, you know, now that we have CNN and Fox News and 24-hour news and the Internet, everybody's going to see it on screen. It doesn't mean that at all. It means that everybody's going to see it. When he comes, it will be that authoritative, supernatural appearing of God that everybody will be accountable. And at that very moment, everybody who's still here He's going to have to make the choice, friend or foe. And sadly, most are going to choose there's going to be a, a foe. So everyone will see him. He said it'll be like the lightning in the sky that lights up from one end to another. Now, not show the rapture, what it's going to look like. Uh, all we can do is guess. And I think in our culture, we're so influenced by the left-behind books and the old sort of cheesy but interesting uh, Christian movies about the rapture where we see people with their clothes just left and and the body's gone. Um, but our bodies will be absolutely gone, transformed in an instant. Um, when, when he comes for us, we'll be taken to heaven with him, and we will exchange this old, temporal, worn-out, or wearing-out body for a brand-new body fit for heaven, a body that is like Jesus's except for the scars. Um, I'm not so sure our clothes will just be bundled up as we leave, um, you know, the, the transformation is going to happen. They could be burned up. We don't really know. But um, when the rapture happens, 
Uh, not sure wherever we are, whatever we're doing, we are going to be gone. You know, it's interesting. I had a question uh, not too long ago, not on the show, but just somebody asked me. And they were kind of worried and, and said, you know, if if the rapture happens the way you say it's going to happen, that means that there's going to be a lot of innocent people die. I mean, people will be driving cars and suddenly the cars will be going with no body. Uh, there'll be Christian airline pilots and they're going to be gone. The, the planes will will crash. Uh, people are going to die. That doesn't seem right. And and I had to remind this person, I'll tell you now, that when the Great Tribulation begins, when the rapture of the church happens, God is dealing with the Christ-rejecting world in judgment only. So yes, there's going to be people die. In the course of the seven years, uh, four-fifths of the world population is going to die. That's judgment it's a judgment because they rejected God's answer for sin. It's judgment because people have accepted the mark of the beast knowingly and willingly. And so we, we don't need to worry about people crashing and dying. That's That chaos happens during judgment. And not so um, once the rapture of the church happens, God is no longer dealing with people in grace. Instead, he's dealing with people in judgment, unrelenting judgment. And so, yes, um, we will be gone in an instant. Thank you for that question. Let's go to our next question. This is from Blaine. He says, do you think people will actually be on fire in hell, or is it figurative language? Uh, Blaine, I take it as figurative language. I don't think it'll be like the burning bush, you know, on fire but not consumed. Uh, I, I know it's hot in the story of the rich man and Lazarus. Um, the rich man says, I'm in torment in this fire. I, I think that is simply figurative language. I personally don't think there will be literal flames, real flames as we understand them. Uh, but I think the, the torment will be as though we were on fire. Uh, and, and I think that's what happens when we immerse ourselves in, in total darkness where there is absolutely no light at all. I was telling somebody the other day that for me, hell would have been cold. I hate cold weather. I mean, if it gets under 80, I'm cold. And, um, uh, you know, whatever torment is, it's going to be worse than anything that we can actually imagine. So personally, Blaine, I think it's figurative language. Jesus, when he was talking about uh, where the flames will burn and the worm will not die, um, um, you know, he used Gehenna, which was a garbage dump uh, outside the city walls. Uh, and it was always going, that's, that's where they burned the refuse of the cities. And um, and Jesus would point to Gehenna as a figurative, not a literal, but a figurative example of what it's going to be like. So that's my take, Blaine, but I, I will say this, there are a lot of people who think that uh, it will be literal fire, and who knows uh, who's right. Uh, the best thing is we don't have to find out, because Jesus saved us from that torment. We're inside four minutes now for the program, so let me take another question if I can get to it. It's from Janet. Pastor Ron, is all sin the same, or are some sins worse than others? Well, all sin, Janet, is the same uh, only in the sense that the sin separates us from God. Uh, if I'm not a born-again believer, and I sin, and maybe I do a little sin. Let's just say I do something that's... Uh, Bad, I know it's bad. I shouldn't do it, but I do it. But not a lot of people get hurt. It's still sin. I'm still separated from God. I'm still going to spend eternity in hell. Um, we might think that the, the, the sin of murder, you know, that's much worse. It's it's much worse than, than just doing something else. But you see, whether it's a terrible sin or what we would call a minor sin, we're separated from God. Now, I think the thing that we have to understand, Janet, is that there are some sins that have greater and, and longer impacting consequences. Sexual sin, Paul says, when a man, all other sins are committed outside his body, but when a man sins sexually, he sins against his own body. Um, uh, those sins um, have d- deeper consequences. If we do drugs and, and mind-altering things, uh, we're giving Satan uh, an, an opening to, to do what he does best, to rob, to kill, to steal, and destroy. So uh, certainly there are some sins that have horrific consequences, sometimes immediate consequences, 
uh, and, and they are worse from our perspective. But whether you're guilty of a little sin or you're guilty of huge sins, you're still guilty and will stand before God and be sentenced to an eternity in torment. We know, Janet, that there will be different levels of torment in hell. There's deepest, darkest blackness, which incidentally we're told by Jeremiah, we're told by Peter, that that's the place that awaits the false prophets, the false teachers. Um, so it's a worse sin in the eyes of God. It has greater consequence in, in eternity. But just as the worst level of hell is going to be horrific, uh, so too will be the initial level of hell. Um, there's a classic, Dante's Inferno, um, that, uh, I mean, it'll give you something to think about, Janet. It's not pleasant read before you go to bed reading, but it's um, um, it's a, a, a picture of the different levels of hell that that uh, people in the ancient world um, had come to had come to believe in. So some sins, greater greater consequences. Certainly, uh, a man who who uses pornography, that sin isn't as bad as physically cheating on his wife with another woman. Um, and yet both are horrible and both have terrible consequences. Um, yelling at somebody is not as bad as punching them in the nose. But remember, all sin separates us from God. The good news, Janet, is that we don't have to worry about that because Jesus Christ has cleansed us from all sin. Hey, thanks for the show today. Thanks for the calls. May the Lord bless you and keep you. I've just been informed that yesterday's program is up on the archives if you want to get it already. Thanks for tuning in. I'll see you tomorrow at 4 o'clock. Bye-bye. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.